We're going to continue in worship together um, by reading Scripture. I'm going to read Luke chapter 8, verses 9 through 15. You can follow along uh, either in your copy of Scripture uh, or you can uh, follow along on the words that are going to be up on the screens. So I'll read Luke 8, 9 through 15, and then we'll have a moment of prayer before the message. Here's what the Scripture says, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. God, we thank you for the kindness that you have shown us by making known to us your word through your Son, Jesus, we pray, Lord, this morning as we take some time to think about your word, that your Holy Spirit would do a work on our hearts, making us new, bringing salvation to those who need it, renewal to those who need it, encouragement to those who need it, and correction for those of us who need it. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The passage this morning that we're going to be looking at is Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 21, and there's a couple of different segments to this passage, and we'll kind of cover them uh, in turn. I know we just read a little bit, but to begin with, let's read Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It's a summary statement. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it because it's basically a transition statement from what's been going on before to a new major section of the Gospel of Luke. So here's what it says. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, he being Jesus, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. So what we see here is a a new section in the ministry of Jesus. He's going to take some time traveling around, primarily around the Sea of Galilee, the area in the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee, going from city to city, village to village, proclaiming, as it says here in verse 1, good news of the kingdom of God. So first thing, what is the good news of the kingdom of God? It's very, very simple. Jesus came, he is God, to provide forgiveness of sins to all who would believe in him. 
He provided the message and the way for the message to actually work. How? By dying on the cross, he pays the penalty for sin. By raising from the dead, he overcomes death. So, the good news of the kingdom of God is he says, I have come to forgive sins and provide the way for sins to be forgiven. That's good news. Sinners can receive forgiveness and eternal life. Death no longer is a problem for people in Christ. At least two of the songs we sang today were about death. Where else do you go to sing about death? Heavy metal concert, I guess. I don't know what the kids are doing nowadays. But We sing about death, and we sing about it in cheery tones. Death is coming. It's not weird. No, it's not weird. Why? Because death has no mastery of those over those who are in Christ. Everywhere else, that would seem strange. Maybe to us it isn't strange, and that means the good news has taken root in our heart, maybe. So, he's going around proclaiming the kingdom of God. Who is with him? The twelve are with him. Who are the twelve? The disciples. Who else are with him? A number of women are traveling with him. We might also understand when we look at the context of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, likely there were lots of people traveling with him. We know that over the course of his ministry, that number dwindled down. As people became to understand more and more what his ministry was actually about, forgiveness of sins and not overcoming Rome or economic hardship, people started to leave. But at this point in his ministry, probably that hasn't quite happened. So we have the 12. We have a number of women who are traveling with him, and likely also a number of other people who are still trying to figure out what he's up to. As with any mission where he's an itinerant preacher, meaning traveling about, he needs to be able to eat and uh, find a place to stay. And what we discover is a number of these women were providing for the costs of this ministry out of their own resources. So as they were underwriting the costs of these ministry, when Jesus went, you might imagine everywhere he went, he didn't have to buy food. He would just buy a loaf of bread and divide it up amongst his disciples. You could imagine he did that, but he didn't. He did it a couple of times, but he would need to buy food, and he would need to have a place uh, to stay because he didn't have a home of his own. Oftentimes, we know he slept outside. And so here we have some people who are traveling with Jesus, providing for the needs out of their own resources. Does that seem a little strange to you, that Jesus is functioning by the support of others around him? Does that feel a little bit, wow, you know, isn't he creator of the universe? And so who is privileged in that state when somebody is able to purchase a meal for Jesus? Who's the privileged one? The purchaser. Because uh, here, Jesus, I provided you a meal, and Jesus answered, I have allowed the earth to stay in orbit. You're welcome. <laughs> of the two of us, thanks for the sandwich. think I'm pulling a little bit more weight in this relationship. So let's make sure we don't forget who Jesus is here. He is the one who holds everything together by the will of his uh, might. So we have those who are traveling with him and uh, supporting him. We also should make mention, this isn't unusual at all in these times. We might say, oh, how forward thinking. Women are supporting uh, the men in their ministry. It's not unusual at all during those times that both men and women uh, would function as supporters for those who were teaching and training or rabbis in the area. So this wasn't uh, surprising or uh, really out of line at all. So the mission here is for Jesus to go to people around the Galilee area that they could see and hear Jesus and hear the message of the good news of the kingdom of God. It's in this context now that we're going to learn quite a bit about Jesus. 
Today we're going to talk a lot about some parables, a couple of parables that he shared, ones we're very familiar with. Then next week we're going to look at how he performed powerful miracles to communicate who he is. So let's take a look at what it means to see and hear Jesus, especially through these parables. I don't know if you like going to film. Some of the movies they make nowadays are called 3D movies. Do I have to explain that? You go in and you buy your ticket and they give you a set of glasses, you put them on, you sit down. If you're like me, you put the, the, you know, the theater has those lounging chairs. You put the chair in the lounge, you go to sleep, you wake up two hours later and ask what the movie was about. But, so, that being said, you put on the 3D glasses and the movie starts and who knows what the movie is, but let's, you know, there's an elephant on the screen and its trunk is reaching out. Ooh, it's right there. It's like it's right in my face. Wow, that's incredible. The guy next to you doesn't have his 3D glasses on. So if you're watching a 3D movie without 3D glasses, you can still see the film. But you're missing it. Because everybody is reaching up trying to touch the elephant's trunk. This guy's going, what is your problem? Just watch the movie. Put your hands down. He doesn't understand what's going on because he's not seeing it properly. If you put his glasses on, you go, oh, now I see what everybody's talking about. Now I see what's happening. This is the way parables are functioning. Everybody's hearing the same parable. Everybody's hearing the same words. Everybody's hearing it from the same guy. But some people are hearing the message of Christ and others are completely missing it. Jesus is is going to explain to us from this first parable, the parable of the seed and the soil, what we need to understand in order to see and hear Jesus. Let's look at the parable. We read the explanation first. Let me read the parable. It begins in verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. So a sower is sowing his seed at the time of sowing, which is really about this time of year, springtime. What would have happened already is he would have prepared his field. He would have turned the soil. He would have gone through and made sure his field was as uh, proper as it could be for it to be fruitful. Maybe he would have turned into it uh, some manure or organic material to help it be even more fruitful. This particular seed, we don't know what kind of seed it is, it is sown by being broadcast, meaning he had a sack of seed and he's broadcasting it out onto his field, throwing it out onto the field. Not all seed is sown in that manner. If you go into the Midwest and they're planting a cornfield, the corn is planted in rows and the corn kernel or the seed is pressed into the soil in a row. This kind of seed, whatever he was sowing, wasn't being sown in that manner. He was broadcasting it out. This The way we might be most familiar with this kind of sowing is if you are planting a new lawn and you're going from seed. Of course, you're not going to pull it out of a sack unless you're, I don't know, the people who live in Pennsylvania. Amish, yeah. You're casting it out. You're going to go back to the house and churn some butter, you know, probably. You probably bought a device at, at the hardware store. You put the seed in it. You turn the crank. And you, and you spread the seed out, and, and you broadcast it. If you've ever done that, what happens to the seed? 
Much of it lands where you want to grow grass, but others of it lands on the driveway, in the street, on the sidewalk, in the rocks where you have some plantings. You don't care what happens to that seed. You want your lawn here, but when you're broadcasting the seed, it's going all over the place. And Jesus is just wanting us to connect the dots with a very normal, every springtime kind of thing to describe something that's going on in the human heart. So the question is, what is the goal of the farmer? That every single seed grow? No. His goal is to have a fruitful harvest. So he's got a field. What he wants is his field to grow up, and at harvest time, he wants to be able to harvest enough from this fruitful field that, number one, he can eat. Number two, there would be enough left over he can use that to plant next spring. Uh, a harvest that is fruitful, meaning he doesn't want one seed to grow from each seed he has planted. He wants hundreds of seeds to grow from each seed he has planted. That's fruitfulness. That's all he wants. That's a, if anybody went to the farmer and said, what do you want with your field? He said, what are you talking about? I'm a farmer. I want it to grow. I want to harvest it. I want to eat lots of tasty food and plant next year's uh, fields. That's the entire goal. Look at the command of Jesus at the end of verse 8 when this parable is concluded. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, is he saying this because he was concerned some of the people were hard of hearing? Or there were some people who had no hearing in the crowd? No. Everybody has heard the words, haven't they? He is now telling them, you need to do something to understand this parable. To merely hear the words is not enough. Some people are going to put on the 3D glasses and go, oh, I see what's going on here. And others will leave them off and say, this is ridiculous. Why is he talking about farming? And then he leaves it at that. He drops the mic, walks away, doesn't explain it. Who are some of the people who didn't understand his parable? His disciples. Now, before you throw your, the disciples under the bus, first, of mind, first keep this in mind. Number one, there's no buses back then. So, What did he tell them to do? He who has ears to hear, let them hear. Then what did they do? Look at verse 9. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. So they did exactly what he said. Jesus, you said for us to hear it. We don't have a clue. No clue. No, no idea what's going on here. You want us to hear it. We're not getting it. You're going to need to put this on the bottom shelf for us because we have no idea what's going on. So Jesus does a couple of things with this parable for his disciples, which we have to pay attention to. The first thing he does is tell us why he teaches in parables. Look at verse uh, 9 again, towards, or verse 10, I should say. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Jesus there is referring back to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. He's saying, I'm teaching in parables for two reasons. Number one, to fulfill prophecy. Prophecy said, I would come in this manner. I am teaching about the kingdom of God. Those who hear it will hear it. Those who don't hear it will not hear it. So by teaching in parables... I provide the good news of the kingdom of God to those who will hear it. The second reason he preaches in parables because is that way 
The good news of the kingdom of God is good news to those who will receive it by faith. And the good news of the kingdom of God is judgment to those who refuse to hear it. Remember, what is the mission that he is on with the, his disciples and these women in the Galilee area? He's going to the cities proclaiming to them good news of the kingdom of God. One pastor has put it this way. Every time the gospel is preached, 100% of the people respond. Either they believe it or they don't. And that's what Jesus is doing. I'm going to go into every single city. I'm going to proclaim the good news, and they are going to either believe it or they are not going to believe it. And, and he's imploring his disciples, hear it. Hear what I am saying. The parables then are designed for those who would trust Jesus to be good news of the kingdom, and for those who would reject Jesus, they are judgment. To hear the, hear the gospel and say, I don't need that, or I don't need that Jesus, is to incur judgment. There's no neutral ground with Jesus. Either he is your savior, or in the end, he will be your judge. This is why he's teaching in parables. So here's, let's get after this explanation of the soils and understand a little bit about this to see what he's trying to communicate even to us. So, um, well, let's go through each one. I'm going to do it that way. The parable is this. There was, the seed is the word of God. This is verse 11. And what he is talking about is the seed finds itself in different conditions of soil. That's not complicated, is it? relatively straightforward. Some of the seed falls on the road. There's no soil whatsoever. The birds come and get it. And Jesus said, this is like somebody who hears it and the devil comes in and takes the seed. So somebody hears the gospel and they say, okay, I hear Jesus forgives sins. They trust him. The devil comes in and says, you're not a sinner. You're right. I don't need Jesus. Well, the devil comes and says, Jesus doesn't save sinners like you. Oh, you're right. He could never forgive someone like me. And they don't believe it. Or the devil comes in and says, it's a lie. God's not good. He wants to kill everybody. He's terrible. Don't believe that guy. Yeah, you're right. That's been my experience too. So the devil comes in and deceives, and the person uh, abandons the word of God. The second, uh, uh, the second bit of a seed lands among uh, the rocks, the shallow soil. So sort of there's a sense of receptivity to the good news of the gospel. Okay, Jesus sounds good. I like forgiveness. You know, who doesn't like that? Uh, I like church. Church people are okay some of the time, most of the time, average time. And then something bad happens. My tire goes flat. The engine breaks. I can't get a parking spot. I get fired. Somebody gets sick. It rains on the wrong day. It's sunny on the wrong day. I don't know. Whatever your problem is for today, right? Oh, if God is going to do this, forget it. I don't need it. Forget about it. I didn't know that was a part of the deal. I thought it was believe Jesus and everything goes great. It's believe Jesus and things can fall apart? Never mind. So that's the soil that's shallow. The other soil has thorns in it. And he describes two perils to the seed in this kind of soil condition. And these perils are two sides of the same coin. They aren't two different things. They're the same thing. On one side of the coin is cares. That's what it says. Cares. What are the cares of life? Got to be to work on time. Got to pay bills. Got a family. I got friends. I got politics to worry about. My community is doing this, and there's crime, and, and there's that neighbor next door, and there's the cares of this world, and, and the cares grow up in that, that worry and concern and anxiety and all that other stuff with the, with the routine things of life. 
all of a sudden, the good news of the gospel is great, but it's not that great. On the other side of that same coin, it says our riches and the pleasures of life, all the good things God has given us, times of recreation and leisure and homes to live in and good food to eat and, and barbecue. And I shouldn't talk about this before lunch, but isn't it amazing? I've mentioned this before. It is a great act of grace of God that there is a chemical reaction when meat hits heat. <laughs> and something happens to good meat, and it becomes amazing. That char on it, a little smoke coming off. Are you hungry yet? God did that on purpose. He didn't have to make grilled meat taste like grilled meat. He could have made grilled meat taste like oatmeal. And the animals would be happier for it, probably. <laughs> he didn't have to do that. God made his world for us delightful on purpose because he's nice. And then what we do is because of this delightful world and by God's grace, many of us have more than is necessary to live. We can enjoy the delights of this world and pretty soon the delights of this world are so delightful the gospel is lame. That's what happens. That's the, that's the, that's the seed among the thorns. Sometimes it's the cares of life make the gospel seem irrelevant and sometimes the delights of this life make the gospel seem irrelevant. And, and Jesus said this is a condition of the soil where the, where the word will not take root. What's the final condition of the soil is good soil. Well-turned, well-nourished, well-watered, and the seed takes root and bears fruit. Here's the difference between the parable and the sower on his farm. Look at verse 15. As for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So Jesus says this. He's not saying, what kind of soil are you? Because the farmer, he sows his seed onto the pathway or onto the rocks. What's the seed going to do? It's just going to sit there. The, the parable is not telling us what we are. The parable is designed to make us ask this question of ourselves. What kind of soil do you want to be? That's what he wants us to ask. What kind of soil do you want to be? Unlike the, the seed in the parable, and unlike the soil of the parable, the seed and soil in the parable have no control over the situation. What Jesus is doing with this parable is saying, Look at what you are. Look at what is going on in your life and ask this question. What kind of soil do you want to be? Because he is indicating that there is a, an opportunity for us to, by the grace of God, experience fruitfulness. And it's not passive. Look at verse 15 again. The good soil is those who hear the word, hold fast in a good heart, and bear fruit. So it Good soil is a matter of faith and our faith taking action. We choose what to do with the obstacles in our life and what we do with the Word of God deposited in our life and what we do with the obstacles and what we do with the Word of God determines over the course of time what kind of soil we are. Does that kind of make sense? This isn't a passive thing where you say, well, what are you going to do? Rocky soil. Guess I'll just sit here and be a rock. That's not what he's saying. Saying, what kind of soil do you want to be, and how do you pursue it? In nature, seed and soil just happens. In our life, 
our response to the Word of God determines the kind of soil we're functioning as. He wants us as hearers of the Word of God to function as good soil. So, to hear and see Jesus, we have to respond favorably with faith to the Word of God. And he tells us exactly how in verse 15. Look at the three things he says. The good soil. There are those who hear the Word. First thing is, you've got to hear it. Okay? Second thing is, hearing the Word, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart. Summarize that they believe it. Jesus says, I have come to save sinners, and kindly, unlike me, he says something like this, you're a sinner. You've disobeyed me. You're rebellious. You're creative in your rebellion. Your rebellion knows no limits. Thankfully, my forgiveness knows no limits. So he tells us the word of God, the good news. I have come to forgive sins. You're a sinner. That works out for both of us. And we decide, are we going to hold fast to that good news by faith, or are we going to say, you're full of it? Those are the two options. There's no neutral on Jesus. Finally, when we hear the word and we believe it in an honest and good heart, look what it says at the end. We bear fruit. What's the last two words? With patience. There, now you've lost us. What we want to do is we want to sow the seed into the good soil of our heart and bear fruit that afternoon. That's what we would like to do. But maybe some of you are gardeners. I don't know if you're waiting. Everybody's kind of rolling the dice right now. Do we plant the tomatoes? Do we wait a little bit? Is it going to get cold again? What do we do? And so, we're, yeah, what do I do? Go to the store and buy tomatoes. They're fine. <laughs> Less work. They don't taste as good. I'll give you that. Uh, so what, what, what you do is you plant in the spring, and I don't know if you know how gardening works, you harvest later. How much later? Months. It might be a totally different season. Some things you don't harvest till October. Grapes aren't harvested till late October, maybe early November, depending on the temperature. So you might sow your seed in spring, and you may not harvest it all the way through the summer. Nothing. No return. Zero rate of return. You go out and check it. You look at it. Nothing. No return. But then finally there is a day... In, in, in the fall when harvest comes, and then what happens? We've got a table in the lobby with, with vegetables nobody wants. It's piled with tomatoes. Because it can't, there's, you just, we don't have enough jars to make that much tomato sauce. Because the harvest has come in. So what happens is we hear the word, we believe it, we hold fast to it for 10 minutes. No, we hold fast until there's a harvest with patience. So we seek to be good soil, not for Sunday afternoon, not for the next week. We seek to be good soil until when? Until there is a harvest, until we see fruit being born. So well, when is that going to happen? When it's ripe. And, and, and by definition, Jesus says, it will require what? Patience. So how long will it take? By definition, longer than you want. Because if it was not longer than you want, it wouldn't require patience. That's how patience works, it's from what I understand. I don't have any, so I don't know how it works. But 
I, I will almost give you a free lesson on use of the left lane on the freeway, but we'll just... Let's just make it easy. The left lane's for me, all right? The rest of you people get in the right-hand lane, just stay there. It's not that far. Okay, I'm just... I'm mostly kidding. We bear fruit with patience. Hear the gospel. Hold fast to it over time and see fruit born over, over time. Our response is not merely just a moment. It is at times a moment where, where God moves in a profound and particular way in a moment. But it's more than that, Jesus is saying, if we're going to understand the parable, it's holding fast over the course of the time that we might have the soil of our hearts be fruitful. What are we going to do with the obstacles? The difference between us and soil is by faith we get to do something about the obstacles. So the birds come up to take the, 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 the fruit of the word of God out of our hearts, so to speak. And, and Jesus describes that as illustrating what the, the devil is going to do. He's going to come up and tell us God would never love a sinner like us. Or God is a meanie because he made these bad things happen in our life. Or uh, uh, you're never going to get it, and, and God is impatient with you. And so the, the devil whispers these half-truths and these falsehoods into our ear. And the way we cultivate good soil is to remind ourselves of the good news of the kingdom of God. They say, no, no, that's not true. What's true is Jesus saves sinners like me. And Jesus is still working in my heart. So we can understand through the word of God what is false and what is true. And when the devil or our flesh is whispering half-truths into our ear, we can say, wait a minute, that's not what my Bible says. That's not the way my Savior acts. Same thing with the shallow soil, when the troubles of life come in and persecution and difficulty and having a relationship with Jesus is, is starting to really cost us something. We have the opportunity in that moment to, to say, well, no, I want to be good soil. And the, the way to function in that moment is to say, no, I'm not going to to cave under the pressures of the difficulties of life. I'm going to stick with Jesus even through the hard times. And I'm going to let Jesus work out the rocks in my life. And I'm going to endure with patience. I'm going to start removing from my mind by understanding the scripture that walking with Jesus is just going to be strolling through the tulips my whole life. There's going to be times of good. There's going to be times of trouble. And those thorns come up. We, we're wise about what we look at when those thorns come up. If God pours out his blessing on us and we're experiencing many of the delights of this world, what we must understand, we should be willing to examine the, the motivations of our own heart. And if we see the gospel receding in the background, we may need to take initiative and say, what do I need to do to keep the gospel at the forefront of my life and not to pursue the delights of this world in the same way with the cares of this world? seeking the support of others that we may be reminded God is always good to those who pursue him by faith. So that's what he's saying in verse 15. Be good soil. Hear the word and hold fast. Now some of you are gardeners. You have to weed the garden. Usually this time of year, this is the way I did it back when I had a garden. You clear the soil out, make sure all the weeds are out, and then you'd plant it. Now thankfully, when you weed a, a, a garden bed, or a raised bed, or whatever it might be for you, once you weed it at the beginning of the summer, thankfully no weeds grow in that for the rest of the season. <laughs> Isn't that the... That's not how it works, is it? Now, a wise gardener who doesn't like spending all day Saturday afternoon weeding their garden might go out for a few minutes every day and get them while they're small and easy to pull. But sometimes the 
stuff of life happens and it's been a few weeks and we decide to wander around and take a look at the cucumber patch and we can't see the cucumber plant for all the weeds that have grown over it. Proverbs talks about that kind of gardener. He says, have you seen the vineyard of the man that is overgrown with weeds and the, the wall falling down? I will show you a man who lives in poverty. And so what we, the wise person, tends their soil all the time. And Jesus would argue the same thing here. He said, that good soil is not a matter of take care of it. Okay, I'm good soil. It's each morning waking up. What does it look like? To hear the word and hold fast. And pray that God would bear fruit with that word in my heart. Hear the word. Hold fast. Bear fruit. To see and hear Jesus is to hold fast which means to trust him and put his word into practice in our lives. How does Jesus respond to uh, faithfulness in us? First thing I want to recognize, and we're going to move into verse 16, uh, as a way, 16 to the end of the section, which is verse 21. Verses 16 through, excuse me, 21. How does Jesus respond fruitfulness. I want to say something here. This is going to be really, really controversial. I say that to get your attention. It is controversial, but it may not be in here. Fruitfulness here for Jesus is obedience. Fruitfulness for Jesus here is obedience, and I'll show you in a minute why I get that. Why do I say that's controversial? Let me define obedience for you. I've defined it here for you before, but let me just remind you in case you've forgotten, perhaps intentionally. We don't talk enough about obedience. Why? Because we hate it. Here's why. Obedience. Doing what I don't want to do. That's obedience. Being told to do something I don't want to do and doing it anyway. That's obedience. Okay? I've always used this illustration. It's the only one I know. You are not obedient if you love ice cream and someone tells you to eat ice cream. That's just ice cream eating, okay? Obedience is pull the weeds. I don't want to pull the weeds, and you pull them anyway. Jesus told the story this way. There was two sons. Jesus tells one of his sons to go out in the field and work, and he says he will, and he doesn't. He tells the other son to go out in his field to work, and his son says, no, I refuse to, but goes anyway. Which one was obedient? The one who went. So obedience is doing what I don't want to do. The other side of obedience is not doing that which I want to do because I've been told. So obedience, doing what I'm supposed to do even when I don't want to and not doing what I want to do. That's what obedience is. Why is this controversial? Maybe not for this group, but this is becoming controversial because of this. In our modern day, my identity, who I am, what I am like is defined by what I want. And if you tell me I can't have what I want, you have de denied who I am. And that may be true for that particular individual, but if we understand humanity according to the Bible, I am not defined by my appetites. I am defined by my bearing the image of God. And he knows what's better for me then my appetites do. And guess what? If you're human, your appetites change about every 10 minutes. So if you're defined by what you want, what are you tomorrow when you don't like peanut butter anymore or whatever it might be? 
Our identity is not defined by our appetites. Our identity is defined by our relationship with God and being created in the image of God. This is why obedience is becoming controversial because I, the Bible may in fact tell you to not do things you want to do. Anybody have one of those? Somebody with an example. No, I'm kidding. That would, that's terrible. Somebody's back raised now. I got one. The Bible tells us all kinds of things. Don't do this. But we would, I would like to do that. And it says, do this. I don't want to do that. To see and hear Jesus is to hold fast. Second thing here, to see and hear Jesus is to obey. I don't have a nice way of saying it that's going to make it more palatable. Mom walks in. Kids are sitting around. She turns to one of her kids. Will you take out the trash? And the kid says, okay. Never once looks up from his phone. I'm defining the reality for a lot of people in this room. Some of you, well, it's not my kid, it's my spouse. Yeah, okay. Then the mom says this, did you hear me? Yep. What's the next question? Her moms have been around the horn a bit. What'd I say? Now it's different. Yeah, you heard me. You heard my vocal cords interacting with the atmosphere and sending noise into the room, but you didn't hear me. How would she know he heard? The trash is taken out. That's how. That's how it's heard, not merely experienced, not merely reverberating in the inside of my eardrums, but it was heard when the trash is taken out. Look at verse 18. Let's skip to the end, and then we'll work our way through it. Verse 18, what's it say? Take care, then, how you hear. It's a, a warning. It's a command. It's a challenge. You can hear a number of different ways. Take care. Boy, when Jesus says take care, doesn't that make the hair on the back of your neck stand up just a little bit? When Jesus, all the greater the, hey, take care. Oh, it just got real. It just got serious. The Savior of the world just told us to take care. Take care then how you hear. Let's start over at the beginning. Verse 16. He tells another parable. I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be, made, will not be known and come to light. This is the parable of the lamp. Now, over in the book of Mark, Jesus tells his parable, but in a different context with a different lesson. The parable of the, of the lamp in the Gospel of Mark is told, is told to us that we should let our light shine. Here, the, the message is a little bit different. Jesus is saying, the lamp is being brightly shown, and look what it reveals. That's what he says. Nothing that is hidden will not be made manifest. Nothing in secret will be left in secret. Jesus is saying this. The light of the good news of the gospel from the Son of God is shining into the hearts of every single person, and what it reveals will be made known. No questions asked. The light of the gospel shines into the human heart, and what it discovers there is going to be revealed. Everybody okay with that? I'm not. I don't know what's going on in your heart, but mine is not as pure as the wind-driven snow. I know you may think it is. Just a guy. So his light shines into our heart, and everything that we think is hidden will be made known. So what does he say that we should do knowing 
the secrets of our heart will be made known. Verse 18, take care then how you hear. If it makes you a little bit nervous that the realities of your human heart might be made known publicly, a couple of things. Don't be nervous. It's going to happen. You don't have to be nervous about it. You can't stop it. Secondly, there's something can, that can be done. Jesus is telling people that he is the light, and since Jesus is revealing what is going on in our hearts, he is also the one that can deal with those hearts. What is the mission in the Sea of Galilee right now? Where they go, we started at the beginning. What's the mission? Good news of the gospel. So Jesus shows up. He says, hey, buddy, how you doing? Good. I'm going to take everything that's in your heart, put it up on a big video screen. You cool with that? I am not cool with that. Jesus goes, great, because I can fix your heart. I can, I can fix it so that when it goes up on the screen, what, what people see is the work of Christ in your heart. Which one do you want? Do you want your heart put up on the screen or do you want the work of Christ put up on the screen? And what Jesus says is, hold fast. Good news. Jesus saves sinners with hearts that we're ashamed to make known. And Jesus says, hold fast by faith. Hear my word. Put your faith in me for forgiveness. Trust me to give you new life after you die. Be good soil. Trust me for fruitfulness. And fruitfulness is very simple. Hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and obey. Over the course of time, fruitfulness. Look at verse 18. It's a warning. Take care how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. That makes perfect sense. If the seed of gospel is deposited in good soil, what happens? We've already known. It's fruitful a hundred times over. So he who has a seed receives a great bounty of the gospel. Those who have not, even what they do have, will be taken away. He's restating what we already understand to be true. The truth of the gospel either brings great return through faith and obedience, or it brings great judgment for those who reject Christ. He's calling us to be good soil. Okay, look at very, we're going to end on verses 19, 20, and 21 before lunch. Then his mother, who's his mother? Anybody know his mother? There's Mary. And his brothers. Did you know Jesus had brothers? He had half-brothers. Joseph obviously was not Jesus' biological father. Joseph adopted Jesus as his own son. But Jesus' father was God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary is his mother, but Mary had other children with Joseph. We know at least two of them by name. One is James unglamorously, James the Lesser. Sorry, James. Jimbo, as Jesus called him. No, I don't know that. I have no idea. And then the other one is Jude. He wrote the book of Jude at the end of your Bible just before Revelation. Jude was also a half-brother of Jesus. So his mother and his brothers came to him. They couldn't reach him because of the crowd. It's a big crowd around him trying to get to him. I mean, Mary is standing out there. Nobody will let her in. Can you imagine? Jesus was told, your mother... And your brothers are standing outside. They want to see you. We know from the other gospel they wanted to come and take charge of him because they thought he was insane. Verse 21, he answered them, My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God, parable of the soil, holding fast, and what? Do it. Hear, hold fast, obey. Fruitfulness. That's what that's called. 
So what Jesus is saying here is he is saying, listen, I'm going to come to reveal the light into your hearts. Hear the word of God. Hold fast to it. Obey. Not only is your heart being transformed by the power of the gospel, by trusting God and putting it into practice, more than that, your relationship with your Savior is familial. Your family. This is my brother. That's what Jesus would say. Hear the word of God. Hold fast. I believe it. Put it into practice, Jesus said. This is my brother. This is my sister. My mother. Obedience is not done in order to earn favor. Obedience here is done because he's family. And our hearts are moved with affection for our brother, our God, that we might put into practice the good news he has deposited in our hearts, that our hearts might be transformed to be like his heart because we're family. The close bond of family is what marks hearing the word and holding fast to it. It's not religion. It's not ritual. It's not tradition. It's not what good Christians do. It's not mom will be disappointed if I do this. It's I love Jesus because he's my brother and he's my God and I know what he's into because he has put the word of God in my heart. I'm going to do what he's into. Even though I don't want to. Even though my flesh is pulling me other directions, I love this guy. I want to do stuff his way because we're family. And I know from the word of God, he sees me the same way. He sees you the same way. Jesus makes it quite here for the, clear for those who trust Jesus and put the gospel into practice in their own heart. Jesus is closer to them than he is with Mary as his mom. Now he's close to Mary, don't get me wrong, but he created her as much as he created everybody else. You might say, well, Mary has a special spot in Jesus' heart. I would say maybe. Jesus says here, my heart is bent towards those who hear and hold fast and obey the good news of the gospel. A couple of things to think about as we close. First thing is about the soil of our hearts. The question is not what kind of soil you are in, but what kind of soil do you want to be? You might say, oh, I'm stuck in the weed patch. That's not the question. Congrats, you're in the weed patch. Welcome to the club. The question is not what kind of soil you are, are, are in. The question is what kind of soil do you want your heart to be? The soil of our heart needs tending. That's what his parable is drawing us to. We need to turn aside the lies of the devil. We need to endure with faithful patience the difficulties and trials of this life. We need to say no to the desires of this world if it draws us away from the power of the gospel. We need to hear and respond with faith and hold fast to the good news of the gospel over time. How long? A little bit longer. What kind of soil do you want to be? If you want to be good soil, which that is my prayer for all of us, Our soil needs tending. By faith, we need to put into practice the parable Jesus has given us. Secondly, hold fast. Like we mentioned before, a good gardener doesn't pull his weeds once in the season. They go out and pull the weeds on a regular basis. How do we hold fast over the course of time? How do we tend the soil? There are some habits that we many people put into practice, mostly because they've been put into practice over time, knowing God through his word. How will the seed find purchase if we never crack open a Bible? Seeking the Lord in prayer. 
seeking relationship with others that will encourage us in our faith, allowing people to know enough about our hearts that every now and then one of our buddies might say to us, really? I don't know why you're up to that. You ever had somebody call you to account? You want to? Of course not. Who wants to have somebody call you to account? You might get punched in the face, right? Really, I can't believe, I, I'm surprised to know this about you. I would, I would, what can I do to, to help you see things differently than what's going on in your heart? This is how do we hold fast to the gospel and say, no, I want my heart to be tilled into good soil that is fruitful. We need to recognize that holding fast to the good news of the gospel over time requires patience, which means this. Sometimes our faith in Christ feels fantastic. Have you ever had those times where walking with the Lord feels like vacation? Usually you're at a conference or something, you know, and you're driving down something, just had a great something, and you go, man, walking with Jesus is awesome. And then other times, well, I don't know, it's not quite as awesome, is it? Is there some times where reading the Bible is like reading sawdust? Like who reads sawdust? Try it. Is there some times when you've sought the Lord in prayer where it feels like nobody's listening? Is there some times when you've tried really hard to obey God by saying no to a particular sin and you're not very good at saying no and you fail a whole bunch? And you say, you know what? Walking with Jesus is kind of terrible right now. That's what holding fast is. Holding fast is say, my experience today in this moment is not what defines reality. What defines reality is my Savior. I'm going to hold fast with patience and get through this till we're home. Lastly, I want to end with this just because it's so encouraging. Lastly is obedience. I know you guys really came here and wanted to be told to obey, didn't you? Well, that's why you come to church. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You're familiar with this passage? Here's what Jesus says through the Apostle Paul and the power of the Spirit. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What Paul is saying here, 11 chapters of telling people the gospel, he says, since you trust Jesus and since he forgave you, here is how you show your devotion to Christ through worship, It's by making your life a living sacrifice. Turning your life over to God as a living sacrifice, saying, you would save someone like me? That's incredible. What could I possibly do to show you my my gratitude? I know I'll turn my life over to you as a living sacrifice. Since you purchased my life, I will consider it forfeit, and God, I will give my life to you. Verse 2 tells us exactly what that looks like. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I might put it this way, connecting it with with Jesus' parable. What is verse 2 of Romans 12 describing? Good soil. Having our minds and heart transformed. That when the, the, the gospel is deposited in our hearts, it's no longer a rotten place where seeds go to die. It's a fertile place transformed by the power of the Spirit as we see Christ in faithful obedience and the gospel gives root. Trust Him to v- forgive you. Experience new life in Jesus. And then spend the rest of our life worshiping Him by saying no to sin and yes 
to godliness as an act of worship. To see and hear Jesus. Number one, hold fast. Some of us need to hear that. You know, we're hanging on by a thread. Anybody ever been hanging on by a thread? This week, yeah, this month, this life? Hold on. If all you got a thread to hold on to, keep holding on to that thread. Hold fast. Secondly, to see and hear Jesus is to obey. Not my will, but yours be done. God, we thank you for the kindness you have shown us in Jesus. We would pray in this moment that you would give us the willingness to acknowledge the ways in which our hearts are not good soil. God, you know each of our hearts, and you know there are many of us here even today that we are holding on to and retaining in reserve sins and routines that we know do not glorify you. And we're just sort of pretending that no one cares. And God, in this moment, in the secrets of our hearts that your gospel is revealing by your light, I would pray you would move us to repent. Experience your forgiveness anew. And affirm with you that holding fast to the gospel means letting go of those sins we cling to so closely. God, I pray for those of us who are here that are walking with you and have been doing so for a time and are going through a time of great trouble. I pray that by your grace and your spirit, you would give us strength to continue to hold fast. That even in times of trial and trouble and difficulty, we would find you faithful to give us strength to endure to the very end. God, I especially pray for those who are here today. They have heard the gospel many, many times, but they have never put on the 3D glasses and seen you. I pray in this moment, God, you would open their eyes to see the hope of Jesus who died and rose again to redeem sinners. I pray even now they would experience new life in you by trusting Jesus for forgiveness. God, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for the love you have shown us. And we pray, God, you would cultivate our hearts into good soil. In Jesus' name, amen.